I am going to try and do the slides and do my sermon, but it's a little like patting my head and rubbing my belly. So if I get behind, just let me know. <laughs> Since the first week of January, Pastor Matt has been taking us through a convicting and encouraging series on what it is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And through that, we have gotten a deep dive and some rich insight into, this, into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we have looked at the Old Testament and Abraham's faithful but stumbling attempts to love his neighbors. And we have begun to wrestle with what it looks like to live... Sorry, keep slipping. <laughs> we have begun to wrestle with what it looks like to live out this important command in practicality. How we think about our neighbors how we divide our time in regards to our neighbors, and what it looks like to love neighbors well in full lives. As we continue in our neighboring series today, we are looking at a rather awkward aspect of neighboring, the aspect of being served by others. When we talk about neighboring, we will often, and very importantly, talk about things we can do and ways we can serve. But today we are talking about how we can be served. And this matters because loving people as a one-way street does not often lead to great relationships. And one-way relationships can be detrimental. It can build into our sense of pride. It can encourage us to condescend to others. But when we build relationships that are two-way, we can grow in humility. We can extend dignity to others, and we can find ourselves seeing Jesus more clearly as we mimic his examples. The Jesus that allowed Mary to pour expensive oil on his feet, that defended her in doing so, accepted her service of him. There is an uncomfortable vulnerability, though, when someone serves us. If it's not something we asked for, we can feel awkward at the attention, or that we aren't someone who should be served. We can feel that our role as server is being threatened. And if we take it a step further, if we rely on our neighbors and actually ask them to meet our need, it can expose us to rejection, to embarrassment, or to loss of status. When we admit that we are in need, we open ourselves up to others and we lack control over the way that they will choose to respond. I very clearly remember the day in high school when I told a good friend I was having a hard time and she said, you're the one we rely on. You don't get to have hard times. I certainly learned the wrong lesson that day about asking others for help, and it took me a while to recover from that. And it was so tempting to believe the lie that God wants me to shoulder the struggles and the needs and the issues of others, but not to share my own needs in return. And learning to ask boldly for help from neighbors has certainly been a journey for me. In our scripture today, the prophet Elijah makes a really bold ask of his neighbor. He makes an ask from a place of real need, and he asks of someone also in real need. We're going to be in 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 7. Maybe. Look at there. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Elijah. 
Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Are you uncomfortable with Elijah's ask of the widow? It's uncomfortable. It takes such incredible boldness to ask a starving widow to feed you. Now, Elijah had something that we don't always have, which is is an assurance from the Lord that it was the right thing to do. And we don't want to overlook that. That is important. However, many of us can probably think of situations much less dire when God told us to do something and we didn't follow through. But Elijah trusts. We don't have it written down for us what his thoughts were or how he felt about the situation, but we have his actions. God said, I have directed a widow to supply you with food. And so Elijah trusts, and Elijah asks with confidence, despite the obstacles. And there are obstacles. There is the obvious obstacle, the visible lack of food, but there is also the obstacle of location. Elijah has left the land of Israel, the land of God's people, and he's entered into the territory of Sidon. He is in the land that his future enemy Jezebel was raised in, the land of Baal worshipers. But Elijah trusts God, and Elijah asks. Now, none of us really know how we'll react in certain crisis situations until they are upon us. However, some of us may have found ourselves in that situation tempted to starve rather than to ask that boldly or at the very least, to have a bit of a debate with God. I can think of my objections easily if I were Elijah. God, this woman is not one of us. God, it cannot be your purpose, despite what you are saying, to take take from a widow with a dependent. God, there has to be a rich guy around here somewhere with a storehouse of food. Can you direct me to him? Instead, I could prophesy for him He could give me some food. It could be a fair exchange of goods. But Elijah trusts God. And God provides miraculously for the woman that serves him. 
and for her family and Elijah himself. Let's back up in this story a little. At the beginning of this chapter, Elijah has appeared in Scripture for the very first time. And his opening note is to prophesy to the evil king Ahab of Israel that God is bringing about a drought. Let's read that in 1 Kings 17, 1 through 7. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. So God has Elijah do something. Elijah goes and prophesies to Ahab for the Lord, and then God provides a place for Elijah to hide. He provides food, and he provides water. Elijah is being taken care of. It is him and God in a ravine, and he has his needs met, and then God removes that provision. When I read that, I feel it because I can think of so many times when I am confident and comfortable in God, getting what I need from him, and then God says, okay, it's time to go out and get other people involved. Be a river, not a lake, right? Matt talked about that in his sermon a few weeks ago when we traced Abraham leaving the security of Babylon and going out into a new place. But the problem is, is that other people are messy, other people disappoint. Again, God did not provide us Elijah's thoughts or feelings, but I can tell you that I might have been hesitant to leave the God and me ravine. And it's telling that God allowed the brook to dry up. He made it necessary for Elijah to move on. He removed the water, and really, Elijah had very little choice. God was telling him that provision was going to come through someone else. And relying on others is an act of trust in God. And sometimes this act plays out differently than we hope. And we know this. So maybe we have a tendency not to ask others for help because we've been disappointed, let down, and betrayed one too many times. Or maybe we don't ask others for help because our parents were disappointed and betrayed and let down one too many times, and they taught us to be completely self-reliant. But God, our truest Father, teaches us a different way. Inspired by the Spirit, Paul writes in Galatians, Serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Christian theologian Augustine, writing in the 4th century, said, Do we glory in our own ability to serve, or in God's grace to inspire us? to serve. And if we recognize that the ability to serve is because of God's grace and that God's grace is a gift to us, will we then deny others their gifts and their grace to serve? 
How many of us have felt worth, validation, and encouragement in serving, knowing that we do so prompted by the Lord and in his imitation? Shall we not extend that same dignity to our neighbor? In other words, if I serve others to honor God, can I let someone serve me so that they too can honor God? Paul writes that the law is fulfilled when we are loving our neighbors as ourselves. I want to fulfill the law, and I want others to have that opportunity as well. But we have to make the choice. We have to be willing to allow others to serve us. Elijah, a prophet of Israel, extends great dignity to this Sidonian woman as he receives her service. And although ultimately his provision is from the Lord, it is given by the hands of a foreign widow. When we reject or refuse the service of others, we need to be very careful that we are not rejecting or refusing service God has intended for us or opportunities to give or receive love that God is providing us. I think of a time that some family members um, traveled near to where my family lived, but we didn't know about it until after they had gone home. And I asked my dad, don't they like us? We've stayed with them before. My dad said, they do like us, but they are the kind of people who can only host others. They don't like to be hosted because they don't know how to receive. I don't know if my relatives were just uncomfortable or didn't like the lack of control as guests or even just didn't want to burden us by asking or imposing. What I do know is that we all missed out. I was sad and a little hurt that we didn't get to see them, and the lack of opportunity to serve and to be together meant a lack of growth in our relationship as extended family. Elijah has no such compunction. He will serve God boldly in the coming chapters, giving so much of himself by the Lord, but he doesn't fall into the trap of saying here, okay, God, I can carry the burdens of others, but they don't get to carry mine. Now, like in all things, there does need to be discernment and wisdom about when and how we share ourselves. We need to have wisdom about the ways in which we invite others into our lives and depend on them. Elijah's boldness seems to be directly related to the assurances he has from God about what will transpire as he trusts. We do not often get such assurances. In my own life, I've often experienced promptings from the Lord of when to share and when to ask for help, but those promptings rarely come with disclaimers from God about how the other person is going to respond. As we look to the New Testament, I rely less on desired outcomes and more on the picture of community that is painted for us, and even more importantly, on Jesus' focus on us loving others. I receive service and or ask others to serve me because if I am to offer hospitality, then I am also to receive it. If I am to love others deeply and with humility, then it is God's desire that they do the same for me. If I am exhorted to look to the interests of others, then they are exhorted to look to mine. Now, those are all commands to Christians. But what about as we interact with neighbors who don't know Jesus? Back in verse 14, we see Elijah showing the might of God 
to a woman who is not an Israelite. Elijah even tells the woman that her blessing is coming from the Lord, the God of Israel. He tells her this like he told Ahab, but in Ahab's case, he was reminding Ahab that Israel doesn't belong to him. It belongs to God. He tells it to the widow with a different purpose. She doesn't live in Israel, but she needs to know that her blessing does not come from the false god Baal. It is the God of Israel that is present with her struggle, and it is in her service to Elijah that a miracle is occurring in her home. God is illuminated to this woman by her service, but unfortunately that's not all it takes. If we were to follow along in the story, we would learn that the woman will require much greater miracles in order to believe. But this is the start of their relationship. Elijah asks, and the widow serves, and God is praised. Now, we don't just love people evangelistically. We love people because God asks us to, God tells us to, and God builds up a love for others within us. But as followers of Jesus, we cannot help but reflect his goodness and his grace and his majesty. As imitators of Christ, we accept with grace the gifts of others. We accept their service when they offer it or when God prompts us to ask for it. Think of Jesus saying, Zacchaeus, I will stay at your house today. We often focus, rightly so, on the favor that Jesus was doing for Zacchaeus but he was also getting served in return, literally, as his physical needs would be met with rest and a meal. In an example of today, as a church body, we often get served by the local community. I have the privilege of sometimes being the church representative on a local integration team that gathers together hospital employees, housing organizations, local police and fire representatives, reps from the school district and family care organizations, among others. These organizations, Christian and non-Christian, get together in a room to coordinate services and make connections so that the local community might better be served. Everyone in the room has a committed love for the community. And there's a moment in the meetings when we get to thank other organizations for their services and so I have had the opportunity to publicly thank Liberty House on our behalf because they have come to the church throughout the years to serve us by leading staff and volunteers in child safety trainings. Their service makes us a safer church. And I have been able to thank the fire department for coming out to our preschool class during their transportation segment and blessing kids by teaching them about the fire department. Their service helps little kids to know and trust firefighters and will allow those preschoolers to be more calm if a scary situation were to ever happen. We cannot repay the services of those organizations. We are not Elijah in this moment, and God has not promised us to give others miracles in return for their service. But when we become a safer place for children, and when preschoolers feel more safe in their community, we have honored the Lord. We have loved our neighbor by being served. In our own lives, we might not always immediately notice the connections. Our neighbors dropping off cookies just because or offering to mow the lawn or checking to see how your day is going might not seem like it is benefiting the kingdom. But it is. 
The gracious love of our King works in us and through us, and cookies can turn into late-night chats, and conversations about our day can help us to know how to pray for others, and God has created everyone in his image, even those that have not accepted that. I have learned about God from good teachers and kind neighbors, even when they weren't meaning to demonstrate him. I don't know who your neighbors are. I don't know if they love Jesus or don't know him, but you can know that about your neighbors. As you proceed with wisdom and discernment in caring for those around you, in loving them and serving them and praying for them, I hope you leave an open option for it to become a two-way street. I pray that as you know them, and they perhaps offer their kindness and service back, that you accept it with the goodness and graciousness of Christ, allowing yourself to grow in the process. And while I hope that I have now painted a beautiful and enticing picture for you that makes you want to joyfully and gratefully go out and accept the service of others and even boldly ask for it at times, there is also a less beautiful part of this reality that we need to address. What about when your neighbor serves you in a way that makes you uncomfortable? If sobriety is part of your faith journey and your neighbor drops off a six-pack of beer one evening, what then? If you ask a neighbor for help and their reactions are ungodly or their advice is inappropriate. If your neighbor sees you are in need and offers to babysit your children, but they aren't people you want to leave alone with your kids. Going back to the ravine and being alone with God might sound pretty nice when we think about these kinds of situations. Loving people well is complicated. Neighboring is complicated. And so God gives us guidance throughout his word, and God gives us his people that they might speak into our situations and help us discern how to respond. And God gives us his spirit so that we might have his guidance with us and in us. And God gives us his forgiveness so then when we mess up or love poorly or trust wrong or miss the moment we could have leaned in, God gives us more grace. Elijah's boldness is a little terrifying. And there could be a temptation to dismiss it as an act in a desperate situation. But Jesus had no such desperation when he went to Zacchaeus' home. If we are truly imitators of Christ, ambassadors of his peace and his presence, then our presence in our neighbor's lives can be like the presence of Jesus. Would we deny our neighbors the presence of Jesus? And while each of us should spend time in deep contemplation of what healthy boundaries look like as followers of Jesus, the reality for most of us is that we probably don't ask when we are prompted to. And we probably don't accept when it is offered. And we lean back on cultural norms and customs and whatever our concept of politeness is as a default. Neighboring well is not about politeness. Cultural norms teach us to be as quiet and unobtrusive as possible with our neighbors. Serving people well and allowing ourselves to be served in return, creating the space for neighbors to ask of us, and then asking of neighbors is going to be uncomfortable. I've probably used the word uncomfortable about 1,500 times in this message, but it's on purpose. Because healthy boundaries, God-inspired, real love boundaries, have nothing to do with our comfort. 
They are important and necessary and essential, and we need them. And yet God's boundaries are usually not the same boundaries that we would draw if left to our own devices. It is impolite and countercultural to ask someone starving to feed you. It is impractical and uncomfortable to accept God's word that love keeps no record of wrongs. It is awkward and messy and way too personal to carry each other's burdens. But we are told to live that way as Christian community. So when we look at loving our neighbors, of asking of them, of sometimes relying on them, of accepting their gifts or their service to us, let us be careful not to depend on our own comfort zones. Let us avoid letting past woundings be our guiding compass. Let us have God be our guide so that we may ask boldly, that we may accept graciously, that we may draw the boundaries that God wants us to draw and not the boundaries that bad experiences encourage us to. As a small example, I have fought through some pretty intense fear to be on this platform today preaching. Three days ago, I thought about asking Frank to preach instead, despite the fact that God was very clear with me this week about what he wants me to do. I do not have the boldness of Elijah, but God has kept prompting me to invite others into the journey this week, and I have been prayed for so much. And I have had friends and neighbors praying for me as I stepped on the platform this morning. Past woundings would have me cowering in the back row, afraid. But this congregation has served me beautifully this week in prayer and encouragement and counsel and support. It has been hard for me to invite people into this process. It has been scary for me to ask people for prayer and counsel, and yet I have been healed from past hurts this week as I have asked and people have responded with grace and wisdom and godliness. You have neighbored me well this week. Thank you. Can we be joyful then, brothers and sisters? Can we be bold at the opportunities God has given us? We get to love one another and serve one another and be served in return. And we get to leave the ravine and go out into the world and love our neighbors as ourselves. And sometimes we might find ourselves having the opportunity to accept love and service in return. Will you pray with me? Father God, I praise you that you give us neighbors. I praise you that you surround us with others to serve and love us and grow us and challenge us. I praise you that you stretch us out of our comfort zones. Help us to be imitators of you when we receive service from others. Help us to be people that honor you when others give freely to us. Give us wisdom and discernment for the nuances of each and every situation. And help us to rely on one another in the ways you have called us to, so that this church community might more and more represent you to the world. In your son's name, amen. <laughs>